So we're continuing in our series in the book of Hebrews. And so far in the book of Hebrews, we've seen that Jesus is greater. In Hebrews chapter 1, that's what we saw. We saw he's greater than the prophets, greater than the angels. He's superior to everything. Then in Hebrews chapter 2, we saw that he, this superior Jesus, he came down. He was the king who came down. He was the champion or the captain who came down. He was the elder brother who came down. He's the priest who came down. I shared earlier that the audience of this letter, the audience who received this word, were people who've been, who suffered a little bit of persecution and some were being led astray. This book was written to those people for them to grow in their faith and the understanding of who Jesus is, to start maturing in their faith so that they wouldn't fall away or be led astray during persecution and suffering. These are the type of people who, who kind of heard the gospel, heard the message from maybe one of the apostles or the missionaries out there, started to believe, but they suffered a little bit. And because they weren't mature, they didn't see Jesus as truly superior in all things. Some of them were like, well, love Moses sounds good. Or believing something that I don't have to suffer for sounds good. So they were being led astray. And the author of Hebrews is writing and pleading with them, guys, don't miss it. Jesus is superior. Jesus is greater. And he's greater not just because he's so much bigger, not because he's so high and mighty, but he's also greater because the high and mighty one came down. The high and mighty one is your friend and your champion. The high and mighty one saved and he came. He's the older brother in the prodigal son story that went to the pigsty with you. Today's message is called Members of God's House. And this message is written following along this line for those people who are being tempted to fall away, they're tempted to be led astray, saying, guys, we're, we're really a part of one house together. It's written for them not to fall away. In particular, not to go back to the law of Moses. This passage shows that Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses is actually just part of the house that Jesus built. And for the readers of the, of the book, the name Moses is basically it's a huge deal. It's, he's the goat. Anybody know what that means? Raise your hand if you know what that means when I say he's the goat. My wife and I debated whether or not people would understand that. The goat for, in sports terms is, is the acronym for greatest of all time. They would say that the Michael Jordan is the goat. Some say Tom Brady is the goat. Nah, I don't think, but it doesn't matter. Like that's, what it, that's for the people that would hear this, the recipients of this letter, when they hear the name Moses, he's the goat. He's untouchable. He is the man. He is the guy. Listen to what, the, listen to what Exodus says about him. Exodus 33, 11 says this. Open the slide there. It says there. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Later on it says, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy to whom I will show mercy. You see, there is no one more esteemed than Moses. Not only was he esteemed, but his name became synonymous with the law, which became much bigger than just one person. So the author of Hebrews is stating to everybody else that, like, comparing Moses and, like, Jesus doesn't even compare. And Moses was the greatest. But he's saying Jesus is even higher. He's saying that Moses was cool. He's worth... He's worth emulating a little bit. He's worth looking up to a little bit. But he's just a part of the house. Jesus is the actual builder of the house. And you don't say, look how you know, amazing the, the chimney is. You say, look how amazing the builder of that house was. The author is saying that Moses is, is actually just part of the house, same as you and me. 
He's saying Moses is no different. Jesus is the one that's different. But Moses is just like you and me. He's saying we're all part of this house together. A crazy, amazing house that serves a purpose. All those saints of old, Moses and David and Noah, Paul, and all the saints now, me and you and those who believe and preach the gospel, we're all part of this house together. You know, when I think of house and when I think of home, um, I think of it in many different ways. You know, nowadays because I think about, I have a house myself and my own family, I think of it as my, my wife and my son. Back in the olden times, though, typically in the, those days, home was not, it's not like the way it is today. When you turn 18, they don't kick you out. It's, or you don't want to get out. Home back then was a time of, you know, you had multiple generations in your home. And you lived together in your home. And you added to the home. Home was something that was so powerful, so significant. That's why hospitality back then was a huge part of the culture. Hospitality and home was very different from what we have now. We have what we call a very individualistic kind of society. We don't really know in our culture what it means to live in community well. We often don't know what homes look like. But for me growing up, when I think of an ideal home, I think of my time with my parents, with my sister, my parents, and my grandparents. We're all together. And I imagine this place where, and I'm sure we all had issues. You know, I was, I'm sure, a bratty older brother, mean to my little sister. My parents had to work all the time. Um, so I'm sure we all had issues. But when I think about my home, I think about a place that was so full of love, I was so caring, that absolutely shaped and molded who I am. Guys, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this very well. I truly believe that the main point of chapter 3 here, that most people, when I look at most commentaries and most pastors, when they preach this chapter, they typically preach about do not fall away. They preach about don't be like the Israelites when they didn't listen to God in the wilderness. But I truly believe this passage, what it's trying to say to us this morning, what this passage was trying to say to the original audience of this letter is this, is that the way you don't fall away is that you live in community as a house together. The way you see Jesus is worth more and the way you learn to live each other with each other, the way you believe and hear God's word, the way you do good works, the way you live and not fall away is by living it together in community as a household of faith. So the first part, the main point, the first purpose of this house, I want you to hear this, is to exhort one another. To exhort one another. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an unbelie evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. A real house exists to protect. It keeps us from the elements. A real home also protects from the horrors of the world. After a day in this world, there's nothing like coming home, kissing my little boy, throwing on some basketball shorts, and being with family. Nothing like that. The home protects, it exhorts, it keeps you from falling away. And I can imagine coming, being dealing in the world all day, maybe at a cutthroat job, dealing with people who are evil or mean and conniving. There's nothing like me coming home, being with kids who are, are annoying, or being with workers who are evil, or traffic that's evil. You come home and you see, I just see, I'm like, oh, my son, and he's so cute. He runs up and gives me a hug. I get to him like, you're protecting me from falling away. This is my safe place. Exhortation is defined here as an urging done by someone close beside. An urging done by someone close beside. The word most often translated to exhort comes from the Greek word paraklesis, which means to call to one side. 
to summon, encourage, admonish. To exhort is to develop relationships with other believers for the purpose of encouraging them in their spiritual growth. Guys, hear this. Exhorting happens in community. Call to one's side. On purpose, by living alongside. Do you hear that? To exhort is to call to live alongside. You have to do it in community, through community. Tim Keller quotes, um, sums up a thought by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. It's something like this. It says, Christ works on us all in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. It's easy to think that church has many purposes. Education, building, missions, holding services. But the purpose of all these purposes is one. A church has no other purpose than to draw people into Christ to make them like little Christ. If they're not doing that, then all the cathedrals, missions, sermons, even the teaching of the Bible are simply a waste of time. I want you to hear this, is that the number one way that God's called us to grow is to be Christ to each other. He's called us to live in community. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This word, um, stir up one another, love and good works, is a similar word to the word exhort that we're using today. Do you know that this word in the Greek actually literally means, this, the word stir means to irritate. Other translations said spur one another on. It literally means to irritate each other. Now some of you, myself included, are really good at irritating others. But it's not like that. It's this idea of if, if you sharply disagree with somebody or somebody disagrees with you, that you're willing to stir them, irritate them enough to action. And, and I'll be honest, I'm probably one of those guys that needs that. You know, what my wife says, take out the trash. I'm one of those guys, I don't know about you, some people do this, I'm, I'm not like that, but some people will get up and just do whatever they, they ask. I'm one of those guys that says, no matter what it is, I'm going to be like, later. You know, I might be doing nothing, but that doing nothing right now is more important than doing whatever that thing is. I need to be stirred. Right? I need that spur, like what you do in a horse. I've never rode a horse before in my life, but I imagine this is what they do with the spur. <laughs> they irritate the horse to move. Right? I need that. But here's the thing. Not only do I need that, you need that. Isn't that true? See, the Bible is talking about things. This is the place where you're protected. This is the place through community you get exhorted. You get encouraged. You're protected to come together. And in this place, you're saying, come alongside. Come alongside. Come with me here. Come be a part of me. Come be alongside me. Not, not follow me. Not, not go ahead of me, but come alongside me. Let's do this together. A mark of a mature Christian community is the members know that they're accountable to each other. We need to spur each other on. The second purpose, I'm going to try to go through these quickly. The second main point and purpose of a house is it is a place to dwell. Somewhere to live. God chose to live and dwell in a house that is not made of wood and stone, but of humans living in community. The spirit dwells in our house. The kingdom comes through our house. So we look like the kingdom in our house. Check this out, Hebrews 3, 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. <clears throat> Hebrews 10, 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are the house of the living God. 
He could have chosen to dwell anywhere in the tabernacle with golden statues. He could have chosen to dwell and live in any cathedral, any mountaintop. But he didn't. He chose to make his spirit's dwelling place to be his people, to be us. Edmund Clowney writes this, Reverend corporate worship is not optional for the church of God. It is not a form of group behavior to be accepted just because of its long tradition or its acceptability in many cultures. Rather, corporate worship brings to expression the very being of the church. It manifests on earth the reality of the heavenly assembly. When we get together as corporate worship, when we come together as corporate worship and family, we are manifesting on earth the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Hear that. Do you get that? You have the incredible honor, the incredible privilege that we come together for something that we kind of see as routine a little bit on Sunday morning to gather together to worship. We're proclaiming with a loud voice, God dwells here. And we're saying this is what heaven looks like. What are we showing? What is the picture we show? Can I tell you that it is our duty, it is our responsibility to show an accurate picture of the kingdom of heaven on church. To be accurate representatives of the very presence of the living God. What that looks like, what that means is, get this guys, I want you to hear this. That what does it say when it talks about heaven, it talks about the kingdom of heaven, what does it say in the Bible? It says no more tears, doesn't it? And when it says no more tears, I don't think it means no more tears of joy. Please hear that. I think what it literally says, when it says no more tears, it means no more tears of, of sadness, of grief, of loss. Because all has been made right. You guys can look around the world and you can see that something is wrong. We can see it and watch the news and we watch reality. People hating people and people killing people. And we can see people robbing from people. We can see the brokenness of the world. And we see something is wrong. Something is missing. missing something is messed up. And when we look at that, and we can then say proclaim in a loud voice, we can say, but here's the deal. Something is wrong. It's called sin. But our Savior Jesus, he conquered sin. And with the conquering sin, he's going to one day make all things right. All that is broken through sin, all that is made ugly through sin, he's going to make beautiful and right again. He's going to do this. He's promised to do this, but his kind of foretaste of that, his picture, his way of showing that, yes, I'm, gonna, I'm faithful in that, is by saying, look at my church. They're not perfect, not yet, but they're giving a taste of what's coming. They're giving a taste of what it means to be made right in relationship. Made right in living. Relationships like racial issues, racial relationships that we, we, we see all the time in the news. They're saying, look at my church. Because in the kingdom of heaven, racial relationships are made right. And we celebrate diversity that is my creation. So we try to show that in our church. Relationships like horizontal broken relationship between human beings of brothers hating brothers, sisters hating sisters. This relationship that is broken because of sin, of greed and ambition and hatred. Those things that are broken in this world would say, look at my church. They're not perfect, but they're, they're trying to show what it looks like when it's made right. We're called to do this together. And in the church, we're called to look like the kingdom of God because we are where the spirit dwells. Amen? And the third purpose, I'm going to try to do this quickly here. The third purpose of home is that it's a place to grow. Third purpose of a house is to have a place to grow. Being with family shapes you, and you have shepherds. 
and we become and look more like Jesus in our house. Hebrews 3.12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 13, starting in verse 17. Or verse four, uh, yeah, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give, have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing, every, with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. At the very end of the book, practically, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus Christ is called the great shepherd of the sheep. He hasn't been called shepherd any other place in this book. He's been called a lot of other things, priest in the order of Melchizedek being the awesomest one. But this is the first time he's actually called shepherd. And it's not an afterthought. It's not just, look, I'll just throw a shepherd. I'll just say, Jesus is a shepherd here real quick at the very end. But it's intentional about living in community. It's intentional about living in a call to them saying, if you want to face persecution, if you want to live this life, yes, know that Jesus is greater. Yes, chase after him, but know that you need to do this in community. Verse 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you. This is shepherding action. But then it says, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. We are his flock. Now, I'm sure many of you guys have heard this. Sheep and shepherd are used over and over again. But have you ever reflected why the Bible is telling us and calls us sheep? I mean, all over the place, the Bible calls us sheep. What do you think the Bible is saying when it calls you a sheep? I'll let, I'll let you guys answer this one. What do you think the Bible is saying when it calls you a sheep? Compares us to sheep all the time. Say that again. Dumb. With a flock. We wander. Helpless. These are all great answers. It's funny because the Bible doesn't call us often dogs or cats. You know, it doesn't call us, I don't know, llamas. I don't know, <laughs> just using sheep as one, but it calls us sheep. They're not often the brightest animals. But the thing about sheep is they're constantly led astray. I mean, if you let a dog or a cat out of your house, typically, they kind of come back. They're like, ooh, this is where I get food. This is a warm place. I'll come back to this. A sheep might be like, I don't know where I'm going. Uh. <laughs> I don't know if that's what's going on in a sheep's head. I'm just making that noise up. In my mind, I'm just going, uh. that's what a sheep does. If you know yourself, I mean, if you really do, don't you see something in your heart that often tugs at you and leads you astray? I mean, I love the words from Come Thou Found, and we just sang today. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Oh, my goodness, that's me. And I hate that about me. I don't understand that about me. I don't get it because I'm sitting here and I'm like, God, I know you're good. I know you're God, and I love everything about you. But for some strange reason, my heart sometimes does say, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And that wandering is not necessarily a wandering that says, oh, I hate God. I'll never talk to him again, whatever. But often wandering is, well, um, I like to place myself as God instead. My wandering is my missions, my goals seem to be more important than God's mission and God's goals. 
My wandering seems to be more like the sin that I like to do seems more fulfilling now than the, the sacrifice I need to give. Right? My wanderings are so natural to me, and it's because we're sinful and we have sinful bodies and we've not made perfect yet. But because of that, that's my reality. That's our reality. We are prone to wander. Lord, I feel that. I love the next line. But here's my heart, Lord. It's utter desperation. I'm prone to wander. I am a sheep, but you're the great shepherd. So God, lead me. Jesus, lead me. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. This utter need. And this is why the, the Bible wants us to be so clear of this. He says, you're all prone to wander, yes, but here's a great thing. You've been given a great shepherd. So yeah, you're prone to wander, but he's a great shepherd. And says he takes and seals your heart. But I'll say this. While we are sheep and we die without a shepherd, we first need our ultimate shepherd, Jesus, who died for his sheep. We need the ultimate one, our ultimate shepherd, because we need to know our ultimate goal and purpose of our lives. But I also want you to hear this. We also need shepherds in our community now because we're also often prone to wander in the here and now all the time. We need a safe place to grow because God has chosen to grow us through shepherds. See, here's the deal. If you guys look at your own life, if you guys look at, I look at my own life, I notice that there are times when I'm prone to wander, and I know it, and I feel it. There are times when I lose track, I get off the road. There are times when I'm walking, and I know I'm a little off, but I just don't know how to get back on track. Or maybe I don't even know that I'm a little off. And what I need in my life are shepherds and people in my life, community, to speak into me and say, hey, Lawrence, you're a little off there. And what you need in your life is a safe place, a home. That has people in it who are helping shepherd you. My mom and my dad are the greatest people in the world. Now, they had a ton of faults. I know them. They know them. I make fun of them for them now. As a kid, I never could, but now I do. But I'll tell you a couple things that I've learned from my parents that I'll never, ever forget. Just a couple. I could name a million. But my father worked two jobs when I was young in Pennsylvania. Five in the morning, he'd wake up and go work at a steel welding plant with his hands all day. He'd work from five to about three every day. He'd come home, spend two hours with his family, grab a quick dinner. Then he'd go to his second job, was working at a walk in front of a fire at a re Chinese restaurant till 11 o'clock every night. That's Monday through Saturday. He'd come home midnight to four, get some sleep, and go right back to work. Four hours. I think about that. And I think, I will, and he always says, he always told us, he always did it for us, me and my sister. And I sh it showed me what hard work, how much hard work can show how much you love somebody. And what you're willing to do for the ones you love. My mom, all the time, no matter what our circumstances was, no matter where we lived, we could be living in a roach-infested apartment complex, um, with me, my sister, my grandparents, my parents, in a two-bedroom roach-infested apartment complex in Philadelphia. But she would always tell us that we were high class. That was her word. You know, she just kind of took that and said, high class is who we are. It's not a thing about money. It's about how you act and how much you believe you're worth. She would always say that. See, shepherds are the ones in your life who would speak truth into you. Shepherds are the ones in your life who, when you're walking away, walking astray, when you need help, when you need accountability, who's going to step in and say, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to irritate you if I need to. 
I'm going to spur you if I need to. That word for shepherd, that word for exhort is often a word used actually for shepherd in the Bible. Same Greek ver- base. And it says here, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Tim Keller says this. It says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Well, who? Any Christian leader in the world? No, that would be pretty stupid. You can't say, there's a Christian leader walking down the street. Hey, I'm submitting to you. Who are you, says the Christian leader. You have to find a set of Christian leaders who you trust. This is up to you. You have to find the ones you trust and where they are shepherds of the flock. You have to join the flock. What do you think these membership vows are about? What do you think membership vows in church are about? It's a way of saying to a group of leaders, I give you the right to call me to account, to live my life as I should be living it, to stay the course, even if sometimes I lose my mind, so I won't take my life into the rocks. If Jesus is your shepherd and your peers are your shepherds, then you have the power, the right, and the balance to make a group of human beings your shepherds. But I think the only way I know how to do that is to join a church. If you think of some other way to do it, you tell me. You're certainly under no one's authority unless there's a covenant, unless there's an agreement, unless there's some some kind of mutual contract in which the person says, I am responsible for you, and you say, I am responsible to you. Tim Keller, this is Tim Keller talking about the idea of shepherding and membership. This idea is that we and the church, we're called to do this thing called life and kingdom advancement together. And can I tell you, we need each other shepherd, to exhort, to encourage, to have a safe place to grow so that we can show that this house looks like the kingdom because the spirit dwells here. Home. That is what we are. Right here. We're God's home to protect and to exhort each other. The place where the spirit dwells, where we grow. Welcome to God's house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and kindness. God, that you would call us to be a body, to be a community, to be a house together. A place where you dwell, the place that you protect, (coughs) the place that you shepherd and grow us. God, may we be community together. Not just for us to feel good and to pat each other on the back, God, but, but so that we can be spurred on to good works. God, so that we can be called to advance your kingdom in safety and grow to look more like you, Jesus. We know it takes work. We know it takes vulnerability. We know it's scary for some. God, will you enable us to live in community well together by your spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen.